Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 103rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the financial podcast whose expansion symbol is Mythic Orange. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsors at Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether you're building your deck or stockpiling your spec. All right. I am your host, Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. My my co-host tonight is Cliff Daigle, uh, a.k.a. Word of Commander. And we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, I'm glad you were able to join us this week. Uh, James is off on vacation, I think, somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Off gallivanting, spending masterpiece, soul ring money, doing something incredible that we'll all hate him for. Spend dirty Bitcoin. (laughs) Thirty big coin. All right, so why don't you tell us about our show this week, Cliff? Well, we have the usual four segments, Travis. First off, top movers. We're going to walk through the cards with the biggest gains. There are some unusual cards on that list this week. Then we'll be on to our picks of the week. We're going to choose some of the things we we think are the best places to put your dollars. After that, we've got a little bit of tournament results to discuss, and then we're going to talk about uh, some of the things that have come up this week. Especially Popper, Rotation, and Grand Prix. Grand Prix? Grand Prix. Grand, Grand Prix, I think, is plural. Is it really? I believe so. All right. Like, I will, Grand I'll take Prix your is, a, is the plural of Grand Prix. Wow. Like, did you go to any Grand Prix this weekend? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. I'm going to three Grand Prix this year. Yeah. Really? Okay. English well, is silly, so I don't know. Grand Prix. Well, but Grand Prix is English, it's French. Even better. We've co-opted yeah, French and stolen their la- their words. <laughs> Pretty sure it's French, too. I don't actually know, though. I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. It works well enough. I'm white, so I can do that and <laughs> people listen. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So why don't you get us started on our top movers? Well, uh, we're going to start with a card that has gone up uh, 176%. Uh, one of many cards this week that has jumped significantly due to popper demand as one event in uh, Santa Clara has triggered an upwelling of support for the format in paper. First one is Flaring Pain, a common out of judgment. The foil has gone from about three and a quarter to nine bucks. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of these cards because... I had to look them up, and I've been playing for a long time, so if you don't know what they do, that's fine. This is one in a red, an instant. Damage can't be prevented this turn with flashback of a single red. Yep, and now I imagine this has got to be for whatever the variant of Popper Burn is. Um, do you really do you play Popper at all, Cliff? Have you given the format a shot? I have not given the format a shot. I've drafted some Popper Cubes, and that's the closest I've come, but I've looked at some of these lists, and they, you know, they look like fun decks to play i just didn't expect the online version to hit the paper world so hard yeah okay and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit further but um a little later in the show but okay so flaring pain 
very likely a popper card uh, for the popper burn deck, which I suppose makes sense as far as popper decks go. Uh, I mean, even like modern and legacy burn decks are a couple cards short of being popper decks as it is, so it's probably pretty easy to port that strategy. Um, okay, our next card is Prismatic Strands. Uh, we are looking at prices that went from... We're looking at the foil copies from Judgment. Went from $5 to 14 This is a 3-mana instant common. Prevent all damage that sources of the color of your choice would deal this turn, and you can flash it back by tapping a white creature. Dear God, people playing Popper are digging <laughs> the bottom of the barrel uh, when it comes to playable spells. This is probably like a top three card in the format. You know, this is this is the best white spell in the format, most likely, or something like that. I don't know. Uh, so this is another another popper foil that jumped, uh, which is kind of funny because the whole point of poppers is supposed to be free or uh, cheap. But we will, um, I think, refrain from theorizing about the format too much at the moment. I want to save that for uh, later on. So uh, why don't you just give us our next card, Cliff? Our next card is Firebolt, the original pack foil out of Odyssey. Uh, standby, red, instant, deal two to target creature or player, flashes back for five mana, has had some reprints in uh, fun sets. Combining this with Burning Vengeance in one of the mo- uh, master sets was truly a good time. Uh, the original foil has gone from $2 to $6. Again, popper burn. Okay. Uh, why don't you fire off another one? That was that was easy. All right. Next up is Gorilla Shaman, who uh, uh, you might have heard of is the Mox Monkey. He's uh, gone up from about $0.90 cents to two seventy-five. Apparently from popper use as well, he's a 1-1 one, one for 1 that has the ability of XX and then one colorless destroy target artifact with casting cost X. Now, you know, we wrote down Popper here, and I'm, I'm hearing you say that out loud, and I'm wondering if that's actually what it is, because I, I don't know, are, are artifacts that popular in Popper? I don't actually know. Like, is that an effect that you need in the format? Uh, I don't know either. I, know. I have no... Is, is it yeah, coming from alliances? It's coming from alliances. Let's see. Uh, lots of people playing Echoing Ruins, Smash to Smithereens, and I guess it's just a reusable artifact kill. I have to do a lot more research into the format. Uh, the, the ship is sailed on this. Uh, if somebody's going to buy my uh, Gorilla Shaman for $3 a piece, uh, please just message me on Twitter. I will <laughs> ship you the probably 20 or 30 I have lurking in that box back yeah. there. Uh, yeah, so I've got two thoughts. The first is if people are playing, what did you say? Like, it's not, you didn't say Shattering Spree, but the other one. The- uh, it's uh, commonly played as Echoing Ruin or Smash to Smithereens are other Smash. common smash the smithereens i mean if people are playing that that was that was un- oh that is common oh that one if people are playing that then clearly there's artifact decks in in popper so that's that's definitely what this is on the second oh, thing is uh popper hmm? it has an affinity build there's an affinity oh, on popper affinity deck okay yeah because i guess you have like frogmite and stuff the other thing is it's shaman shaman not shaman shaman damn it so what's the plural of, of this card shamans Oh my God! You've got to be kidding! You are you are pulling my leg, right? No shamans. The group, the group, there the is no shaman. possible way shaman. it is shamans. No, you're right. It's just shaman, like the group of shaman. Or, uh, there were a bunch of sh- shaman standing around. Yeah, there. The, the plural is still shaman, but it's not shaman. Travis, I will send you a dollar, one American dollar, if we can never bring up plurals again for the rest of this cast. Yeah, that's all I want to talk about now. Oh my god! 
<laughs> um, all right. So next on our list is Grape Shot. Uh, well, you know what? I give James a hard time about all of his pronunciations too. And frankly, I don't do it often enough because he gets a couple in there that like, if I'm rolling my eyes over here as he's saying them, I don't remember what they well, are. He's, he's, he's Canadian. You're Northeastern. I'm damaged New Orleans accents. So I'm going to get all of my <laughs> pronunciations wrong and I'm just going to move on every time he says a boot and I just want to throw things across the room. So, <laughs> um, all right. Next up is Grape Shot from Time Spiral. Uh, we're looking at the foil copies of Grape Shot. 350 to 14, supposedly. Uh, this would also be mo- uh, very likely to be popper. Obviously, Grape Shot's been around for a million years. Uh, it's used in a lot of places, uh, but um, this should be the, uh, the... This recent move is due to popper, I'm sure. There is a Modern Masters foil as well. It doesn't look nearly as goofy, um, but that one is pretty available. Let's see. So... Market price on the Time Spiral version hasn't moved. The market price on the Modern Masters one um, is like three or four bucks, and there's still a good amount of those too. So, uh, I mean, Grape Shot, I mean, the, the Modern Masters Grape Shots could rise in price a little bit here, but this is a card I can see Wizards reprinting pretty handily. So, I would not be eager to hold on to any of these. Um, and if you have Time Spiral foils, chances are you already sold them, uh, unless they're your like own personal copies. I don't know who would be holding on to this card. So I guess the short version is here is Modern Master Foil Grape Shots may be an okay pickup um, that are going to kind of ride this wave as well, but I wouldn't be looking to hold on to those because we could see those show up in pretty much any set. Yeah, I I think that if you've got them, let them go. And if you need them, uh, get the cheap ones because that's what Popper is supposed to be about. All right, what do you got for us? Next up, finally, something that makes sense, kind of. Uh, Multani Maro Sorcerer. Uh, was this the foil or the non-foil price? I think this is the non-foil price. Oh, uh, that must gone, be non-foil. Uh, from $1.75 up to $7. This is a reserve list card that uh, is pretty awesome in Commander. It's just a giant, difficult-to-kill thing. It doesn't have trample, but since he's got he's got power and toughness equal to the cards in all players' hands... And he's got Shroud. So you can't put any awesome equipment on him. You have to play with something like Primal Rage to give all your creatures trample, or he's just going to get chump blocked forever. Okay. Um, so you know a little bit more about this next card than I do, so I'm going to have you go ahead and give us that one as well. Okay. This is Burning Inquiry out of M10. Uh, way back when, M10, when they changed the corset rules for the third or fifth or 30th time, I don't remember. Uh, it is one red uh, sorcery. Draw three cards, then discard three cards at random. It's a common, and it has gone from about seventy-five cents to about four bucks because Saffron Olive did a deck with uh, Red Black Hollow One. You may or may not have seen on his uh, channel that the deck wants to discard a bunch of cards with uh, the one drop out of. Uh, I think it was out of uh, one of the. I think a Monquette. Or whenever you discard a card, it gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn. And then Hollow One, if you play Burning Inquiry and you still have Hollow One in your hand afterwards, Hollow One is now free. So you're playing that, another card we're about to talk about, Goblin Lore, and then Faithless Looting, and you're just dumping Bloodgast and uh, Prized Amalgam into your graveyard. It's a fun-looking deck that folds immediately to Graveyard Hate. So <laughs> it's a it's a real metagame call. 
Uh, that's nifty that it's out there. Uh, I'm not too surprised you have a 4-4 that can get free on turn one. Uh, I'm sure that there are universes where people burning inquiry on turn one and then put three of these things into play and just cackle with glee. Oh, my Lord. Then, of course, the other game, their opponent, turn one, Inquisitions, takes their burning inquiry and then they lose four turns later. But a cool a, a cool concept. I'm glad the deck is in the, the, deck is in the format. Cool stuff going on. Um, okay, next up is Invoke Prejudice, uh, a card that makes me uncomfortable just to be aware of. It is from Legend, started the week at around 200, up towards 1,000. Let me tell you, if there was no reserve list, you would still never see this card printed. Uh, not only does it break the color pie pretty severely, for our newer listeners who might not have been playing back in Legends, Invoke Prejudice was actually drawn by a honest-to-God-died-in-the-wool Nazi, uh, and in... The image is men in white robes, so pretty pretty grim mark on Magic's history. You're, you're not any doing case, our justice, Travis. You forgot the pointed hoods and the white robes. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I figured telling saying the guy was a Nazi and they were white robes got the A. You got it. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, from two hundred up to a thousand, supposedly, uh, it's actually a really powerful card. Um, it prevents your opponents from casting creatures uh, who share the same color who don't share a color with your cards. So in other words, uh, if you only have, for instance, white creatures, your opponents can't pay. They can cast non-white creature spells, but they have to pay twice the mana cost. Um, so like, you know, if I if I have invoked prejudice and I only have white creatures and you cast a black creature, uh, you have to pay twice its mana cost or else you can't put it in the play. So it's very powerful. Uh, it's it's an EDH. This is really funny, especially if you play like a single color deck because nobody can get uh, creatures in the play. Um, in any case, um, you know, the market price is still around 200, but there's only one LP copy for like just under $500 right now. And given that this is a, a playable card in especially in commander where the effect is pretty powerful um, and it's reserve list and it's iconic for some unfortunate reasons i wouldn't be surprised to see a high price stick i don't think a thousand dollars is plausible uh but you know this is this is pretty easily a three to four hundred dollar card i would say i fear that you're probably right um how long ago was it that you said foil cradles were going to hit like two or three grand i remember uh, it was yeah it, well that I said they would hit two or three grand was like a month-ish ago. Yeah, that I I originally read that and I thought Travis is crazy. I'm starting to come around. Uh, some of these things are sticking, and we are living in a time where apparently Magic players have a lot more disposable income than I ever expected they would. People are trying to build the most powerful version of a deck that they can. The most unique version that they can and uh there are going to be times where this is uh i think this will, will stick at the five or six hundred dollar level heaven help us yeah right <laughs> um next up is surge spanner from lore when we we're looking at the foils went from two and change up to 20 supposedly uh the market price has not moved on that guy this is definitely in response to Kamena the new Merfolk commander that people are excited about. Surge Spanner is the one that one becomes untapped. It's a four mana two, two that when you untap it, you can pay two and draw, uh, I'm sorry, not draw a card, return a permit to its owner's hand. Um, so this obviously works really well with Kamena because you get to tap it to do, you tap Surge Spanner to do stuff like tap it to do things other than attack. 
And then when you untap it, you get to bounce stuff in people's hands, add in marrow commerce or seedborn muse effects, and it gets real funny. I do think the foil here definitely moved. It's not $2 anymore. I would say like 7 to 10 is probably a realistic number on this, not 20. Uh, but if you can find any in your store case for 2 to $3, I think you're probably pretty safe there. Oh, yeah. If you could find it uh, at, at five, I would be buying in. This is an effect that a Merfolk deck really wants. And there's a number of ways to abuse it. Um, Seedboard Muse is probably going to see another bump uh, because of Kumena. I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, it's a, it's one of the default Merfolk are good cards. And we have a choice of Merfolk colors now. There's Merfolk Legends in three color pairs. So you get uh, you get to place your bets about which one you like best, but since Surge Banner is blue, it goes in all of them. In three color pairs, you've got blue, blue, green, and what's the other one? Uh, blue black has the Sig River Guide. Blue white has the other version of oh, Sig. Right, I forgot about the the other Sig. Well, which, white. Yeah, which one is green, which one is the other Sig? Sir, we need to be. You know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. One of the Sigs, both Sig. And it's two color pairs, then Kamena's blue-green. So we need a four-color Merfolk in the next round of Commander decks. They should just be eroded to have partner. Both SIGs should have partner. That would be amazing. I fully endorse that plan. He can, you know, it can be kind of like world-bending, where he's his own partner in life as well, Ooh. like a romantic partner with himself. That's good. That would be cool. I like that. We <laughs> can have, like, two versions of Riss play with each other. You get like green, white, black tokens going on. We are describing somebody's Tumblr fanfic right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you got next for us? Uh, more popper cards. Uh, needle drop. Uh, some. It's a one red instant out of was it Lorwin or Sh- it was Lorwin. Uh, deals one damage to target creature that's already dealt taken damage this turn. Draw a card. And the foil has gone from $3 to a much higher number. I'm trying to find, like, the last sold one is still at, like, 8 But um, we have it listed at bumping to 30 Where do we? Let's see. Yeah, yeah. this card was, uh, was something else. It was kind of funny at the time. And it was played almost just as, like, a draw spell in red decks occasionally. Like, I don't know, maybe it was just my friend group being silly. But it was like... Did this you you uh, hold on. actually no I have to look at the stupid thing just to make sure I understand I read this correctly um, oh my god now you're loading yeah you would play it as essentially a red like draw spell that would occasionally kill something because uh, you were you you wanted the draw spell and then you're like oh every now and then if the one damage kills something that works out well what? but yeah Popper. why wouldn't you just play another burn spell well you know if you didn't have enough burn I spells think you could play incendiary flow instead of this. You can play Searing Spear. Yep. I don't understand. Somebody who knows these things, feel free to message me on Twitter. Let me know. Point I mean, me to. It could have just been. It could have just been my dumb friend. It's not. It might not be that real people <laughs> played this card for that reason, right? Let's just because I think we were pretty casual back then. Um, all right. Next up is Strip Mine from Antiquities, showing twenty-five to two sixty-five. That's definitely a stretch, but we are talking about Antiquity Strip Mines here. Strip Mine, obviously, a very popular card um, in Commander in EDH. Or uh, those are the same format, aren't they? Commander. Uh, it would be popular in Legacy if it was legal um, in Vintage in Cube, uh, probably in Casual formats where people hate their friends. 
Uh, they're really powerful cards, and I didn't even realize Antiquities Strip Mines were only $25. I actually don't think that's right. I think that that was probably more than that uh, initially. So definitely a price move here. $250 sounds pretty crazy, but you know what? Now that I say it out loud, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that this card couldn't be $250. For Antiquities Strip Mine, I could see it. Uh, what? I was going to say what rarity was it at Antiquities, and I realized it doesn't even matter at this point, given that it was 25, uh, 23 years ago, 22. And, uh, you know, it's the only black border printing. Didn't this have, like, four different arts, if I remember correctly? Yes, it did. And it's funny because you could not tell a difference between them. Like four you, pictures it was, of a strip You would line, never yeah. know in yeah, yeah, they were remarkably similar. Yeah, there's four versions of strip mine to choose from, and they all have the same like terrace look to them. Yep, yep. You wouldn't even. I, I'm sure most people didn't even realize that there was multiple arts because um, it was so easy to overlook. Um. All right, what do you got next for us? Uh, next up is the aforementioned Goblin Lore with the uh, Red Black Hollow in deck. It's bumped from fifty cents. People have jumped it all the way to seven dollars for the foils. And uh, it is just another card that a streamer has made popular. And these things have happened before, and they will keep happening as long as old cards can get used in new and exciting ways. I didn't even know this was Modern Lethal, because it was a portal card, but it got a 10th edition printing. Yeah, this card was actually really cool, uh, and the art on it is very nifty, too. Um, the effect is powerful. I, I remember looking at this card several times when I was brewing a lot of my own terrible modern decks, uh, trying to look for those types of uh, types of effects to see what I could do with it. So fun to see that it's getting its day in the sun. Um, kind of surprised it's never seen a reprint, honestly, anywhere really since 10th edition. Would have expected it to by now, but uh, I, in any case, I would be would not want to hang on to this for too long. It seems like the no. card that you could get so, blown out pretty so. hard. I mean, I guess 10th edition foils are unlikely to flinch much in the face of a reprint, uh, but because they're still good, they're, I don't know, maybe they won't have the same art, I don't know, whatever. Uh, last card for the week, Righteous Aura, the foils from Mercadian Masks, supposedly 50 cents to $8, and I gotta tell you, that's probably um, not completely complete nonsense because you can i mean it's another popper card and like 14 dollars for a foil doesn't seem that crazy uh it's a really weird card i can't believe this card is like useful or played uh righteous aura let me read that to you because if you know what that is i'm upset it is a two mana white enchantment pay one mana and two life the next time a source of your choice would deal damage prevent that damage so like, you can pay a mana to have Lightning Bolt deal one damage to you, essentially, instead of three. Like, seems real sketch. But, I mean, I guess you can use it against other decks. Like, you you know, their Craw Worm doesn't hit for six anymore. It hits for, you know, zero plus the two life you paid type of thing. Um, I don't know. An odd card. But, I mean, Mercadian Masks foils are super rare, right? Like, you're not going to see much of those around. So, even if it's not $9 six dollars doesn't seem unreasonable at all um five or six bucks just given on how rare it's going to be so if this card sees any play at all in popper and the price is going to be fairly sticky which is nuts but okay so uh without looking travis there is one near mint available on tcg right now guess what it's listed at 
Uh, well, my spreadsheet tells me that it the finish is eight dollars, so I'm guessing it's like seven ninety nine, possibly fourteen ninety nine, because that also seems like a number somebody would pick. Fifteen dollars is the one that is listed. Uh, I was right. It's close. Uh, yeah, You're good at what you do, man. But yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty ridiculous. Please don't play this card anywhere. <laughs> all right so let's hop over to segment two our cards to watch this is where cliff and i are going to talk about some of the cards that have caught our attention we think there might be some opportunities here for you cliff you're the guest please get us started i'm gonna get us started with uh, a reserve list card memory jar it's near and dear to my heart uh it is an Urza's legacy non-foil Currently at $15, I freely admit I have one of these in almost every Commander deck I own because there is never a bad time to put seven cards into my hand. Uh, There's been a point where it spiked to $30, and I think that uh, it's going to spike again, and this time it'll hold. There are foils out there, but I'm picking the non-foils just because uh, somebody's going to build some degenerate combo. There's all sorts of degenerate combos. It had a spike when um, everything was spiking due to Nekasar, the Mind Razor, and it will it will have its time in the sun again. So I'm making sure I have enough for when that time comes. Okay. Uh, that's not that's not a bad choice. Um, and Nekasar really made a lot of cards move, right? Like that was a, that was a big deal that was. at the time. That was the beginning of things for Wheel of Fortune too. Wheel of Fortune never came down from the spikes that it started having at that time. Right. Yeah, that was uh that was quite a that made a I mean people who had weird bulk sitting around at that time made a lot of money from like cards that they were probably just shaking their head like I can't believe I got just got paid on this. <laughs> All right. Uh my first card this week, uh I'm gonna go with the Loro uh Ageless Aesthetic. Um copies are currently around five bucks right now for just the original commander printing. Somehow this card has never been reprinted aside from the judge promo. Uh so never reprinted in non-foil. It is currently, like I said, five bucks. It is the wait, let me find it. The uh one, two, three, fourth most built commander deck on EDA truck of all time, and it's still only five dollars. There are a lot of people that want this card. It's really obnoxious if you've ever played against it. Very good. Um, supply is quite low as well. There's not a lot on TCG player. There's not a lot on other sites either. I poke around a little bit. So there are copies out there, but they're not that deep. Uh, and essentially without a reprint, which they can only, which wizards can only do in a commander product, essentially, um, this card is just going to keep going up and up. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this guy hanging around $20 at some point. Keep in mind too, that we're in mid January and the commander product releases in November. They're not putting this in Masters 25. Uh, you know, it specifically references commander like mechanics. Uh, so we're not looking at, at a reprint possibility here unless Wizards just like surprises us all with like a May commander product uh, for a while. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty confident in this at $5 for at least, uh, at least a triple up to like 15, possibly even more so. I think that would be the icing on the I'm giving up cake with Wizards if they did a surprise commander product. I mean, I guess not surprised, right? But like, we don't necessarily know. Well, they they moved it from November to August on us. Uh, are they moving it back? They moved it over for some reason that I I don't remember. But this year it was in August, when the previous years it had always been November. Uh, did they move it up this year? Yeah. The dragon deck came out. I, I picked up the a couple of the decks, and I remember the dragon deck was at the end of the summer. 
Um, okay. I, I will take your word for it. I don't really remember, but that sounds right enough. Correct enough. Um, okay. So what do you got? What's your second pick for us? Uh, my second pick is uh, a currently standard card. It is Treasure Map, the artifact out of Ixalan. Currently two bucks. Uh, I like this card to probably around triple up at some point. Uh, it got some good camera time this weekend. And this is about the time where I'm looking real hard at Ixalan cards. We're only opening a pack of Ixalan per ever, for every draft now. And this one's a, the double-faced rare that you tap, you get to uh, scry one, and then you put a counter on it. And after three scries, it transforms into a land. And you get three treasures, and you can draw three cards. The key here is it's not legendary. And if you want to play a bunch of them, you can. And it's a way to get card advantage in colors that can't always get it. I saw it in a couple of different uh, looks this weekend, and it looked like a card I wanted to be, I wanted to have in stock. Yeah, Treasure Map is a cool card. And I remember noticing this when Ixalan came out as well um, as a potential potential card in like control strategies, ramp strategies or whatever, just a, a generally useful artifact. Um, and I did see some of those pop up this weekend as well. So I, I kind of had this on my radar before I even saw it on the spreadsheet. I think Treasure Map is, is a powerful card. It's a type of card that will probably show up as a four of in a lot of strategies. You know, if you're if you're in for Treasure Map, you're in for the whole playset, I would think. So I definitely yeah. like where this is going. I love your next pick, by the way, Travis. <laughs> okay, so my my next pick here is Xenagos, God of Revels. This is a this is a longer term. You know, Loro is something you could see a return on within the next couple months. Xenagos, you're shooting for a, a little bit longer here. Uh, God of Revels currently in around eight dollars or so. You can find copies. I think he's good up to probably twenty or so. Um, supplies on a little on the higher side, not high, but like not not bountiful, just somewhat available uh but the card is in a ton of edh decks it's like eight or nine thousand decks it's really powerful it's popular in uh omnath locus of rage which believe it or not is the eighth most popular edh deck of all time which i have looked at every single week but only really just noticed it today um that this weird omnath is so popular uh, but it's really. Oh my god! Have you played against this card? No, I've never seen anyone cast this card. Oh, buddy, you are in for a beating. Hmm. Why? Why is he so good? Because he's good with everything uh, that green does in terms of making tokens. He's good with everything where you don't care if they sweep the board because you're going to get a bunch of damage triggers. Uh, he's good with all the mana ramping you want to do in green, like you can cast crop rotation or harrow as instance to get some five fives immediately. Like the, the list of things you can do that's broken with him is pretty long. You get all the token doublers, uh, parallel lives, doubling season, the commander only doubler, like everything but anointed procession is fair game. And uh, it's just chock full of goodies. It's everything a red green deck wants to do. It's going to ramp. It's going to play this ramp some more. And while ramping, it's going to get creatures. Hmm. I guess so. I never really thought about it. Um, okay, so yeah, Xenagos does a lot of things in a lot of strategies. Uh, and every red-green deck, you know, it's going to be playing big, fat guys, and he's going to be good in those strategies. So I like him as sort of a longer, a really good, a really good uh, binder fodder, I would say. 
you'll never have a hard time trading these away. Somebody will say, ooh, I need this. Exactly. All right, why don't you finish off your pick for the week here, Cliff? Uh, my last pick this week is Death Gord Scavenger, another rare out of Ixalan, currently going for about three bucks. Uh, I like him to double up at some point in his standard career because unless they start getting a lot more proactive with graveyards, right now it's you need to have a card for the graveyard. And the cards that we get are very bad cards. Uh, we get the Silent Gravestone. We get the uh, the fixed uh, Relic of Progenitus, whose name escapes me. Those sorts of things where you deliberately put it in only against Graveyard, whereas the Death Gorge uh, is just a creature you would play anyway, and you get a bonus for messing with their Graveyard. So I like this to get better uh, in the next block or two when, uh, you know, he's got a year and a half, two years, no, a year and a half to find a better price. And right now you can get in around three. And I think I'll be getting out somewhere in the seven range. Okay, yeah, this could definitely become like a staple red or a staple creature in like green decks in standard for sure. Uh, you know, it's it's efficient, it's it's valuable, and you've got some good um, some good utility effect there as well. Okay, so now on to segment three, our metagame we can review. We're going to talk about uh, Star City Dallas this weekend or uh, from this past weekend. This was uh, this had some team events, but there was a standard classic I want to look at. Uh, first and second place, Mono Red Aggro. Uh, Hazo Red, if you are clever, um, showed up in both slots. We saw Blue White Auras in third place. Uh, we saw some Mardu Vehicles, some Green Red Monsters, Teamer Dinosaurs. Uh, so some, some a, a good variety here. Over in the Mono Red side, looked pretty similar to the other red builds. Um just without the Rampaging Frostodon and their mana base adjusted a little bit to accommodate for the loss of ruins. So not, you know, not a huge change there. Um, basically people praying, you know, knowing that no one was sure where to go with the format. So these guys just showed up looking to smash people's faces. Jim Davis with this ridiculous blue white deck, uh, reminiscent of Theros. I immediately sent it to my friend who played <laughs> the uh, heroic deck from Theros standard, which was all one drops in a pile of uh, auras and this is essentially the same concept i think the components look like they're probably just much worse but it is really cool because we haven't seen this in standard yeah right we haven't seen this in standard at all you have basically a lot of commons and uncommons um because like you're looking at uh, a lot of cartouches um so all the auras are common and uncommon except for legion's landing which is a one mana white enchantment that makes a a dork when it comes into play. And if you attack with a couple guys, it flips into, uh, what was this like the core Haven, right? Uh, no, this is, uh, no, it flips it. into, uh, Keljorn outpost. It flips into make a dude. Yeah. Flips into make a, a one, one, uh, really the, the most interesting card here is probably SRAM senior edificer, the two mana two, two, uh, the cantrips whenever you cast an or equipment or vehicle. So he's pretty nifty. Probably, um, definitely a key component of the deck. I don't think you could ever possibly build this deck without SRAM. Um, so he would be the best bet, although the deck seems a little shallow to me as like a real way to a, a real money play, because like it's hard to imagine that being like a tier one standard strategy that doesn't just get hated out of the format. Although blue white heroic back in Theros is pretty popular. What's your take on this? Um, I'm looking at it and I think that it is going to get under a lot of things. What it's really lacking is some like big punch ending. This is just going to. Uh, get in there for a whole lot of value and keep coming back. It's got two of the um, embal. It's got three of the sacred cat, four adorned pouncer, 
But the the idea is that you land Saram and you just start chaining these enchantments in value. I'm stunned. Like I'm expecting there to be some kind of uh, anthem effect. Maybe the new um, the new one where all your creatures get plus two plus two if you've got to send like something to to finish it off. But he finished third. So uh, who are we to argue with the results he's gotten? Right. Yeah. Um, green, red monsters too. It's pretty cool to see that. Uh, so, and as well as the, the team. So green, red monsters, we saw a scrap heap scrounger and glory bringer back. We saw the four Jade light Ranger. So no surprises there. We, you know, everybody kind of knew that card was going to be good. Um, coming into this first weekend, definitely sort of the, the breakout card, uh, at least pre anyone casting it, it was a breakout card. I don't know if there's something you want to mention from Green Red Monsters, but uh, the Vehicles decks and Heart of Kiran were all over the place again. It was real throwback territory with uh, because most of the deck was still intact. Uh, you can still go Toolcraft Exemplar into Scrap Heaps Grounder, and now you have Hazard to play with as your top end to go with your Unlicensed Disintegrations, your Heart of Kirans, and your Ether Spear Harvesters. This deck did not stop being good. It's just that energy was better. Okay. So it's not. It shouldn't surprise us too much that people went back to a deck they'd already played and they already had gotten a lot of mileage with. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. It's it's still a completely valid deck. And I mean, I remember talking about Heart of Kieran a while ago as being like a really good spec pick, and then Energy just sort of pushed it out of the format. Um, you know, the card's done like four or five bucks, which is which is tempting. But the problem is, you got like. Kaladesh rotates this fall. It's mid-January. Do you have time to buy it and then let it spike and then sell it again? Especially with a modern pro tour, this, you know, in two weeks, not a standard one. So like Heart of Kieran could almost be a pick, but like I don't want to go on record as telling you guys to buy it because it seems like you could get caught out on these. I as we're gonna talk about later, I think that the time frame is a bit too narrow given that you're targeting the end of September and you would need uh like it's not gonna Modern Vehicles isn't new. People aren't going to spike into it like if a new deck came along. So uh, while you might see some growth, I don't see think you would see enough. Like if it goes from, uh, you know, what is it now, 12? Uh, no, Heart of Kieran's like five bucks, four or five bucks. Mm-hmm. I might take that back. Uh, four to Heart of Kieran for 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five to bucks. Yeah. Um, so I, I also I just want to point out over on the uh, green red monsters front we saw uh, four rekindling phoenix show up there. So I just thought that was interesting because you know Todd Stevens talked about that last week as being a curious card. Um, you know he thought it was a real deal. I kind of dismissed it and he said no 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 this is quite solid. And then over in Teamer Dinosaurs also had two rekindling phoenix. So uh, you know the card is still obnoxiously expensive. It's like twenty bucks. Um, but I could see that being uh, a card to keep your eye on. If that slips, uh, might be worth checking that out later on. So Rekindling Phoenix is crazy expensive right now. You're absolutely right about that. Another four of in the deck is Jade Light Ranger, a card which has spiked pretty hard in the recent days. But that's an imprint rare, and it's around $12 right now. It takes a lot for that for a card in print to maintain that, even if it's a small set card and we're two months away from all being crazy about the new set. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's a cool card though. So maybe something will come out of it. 
Uh, was did you have any other thoughts on standard that you wanted to share here? Uh, just that I'm really glad there's a deck that plays four favorable wins. I mean that the the flyer deck that this guy that Trevor Hunt played to tenth place is uh, just puts a song in my heart. It's really great and beautiful. Yeah, you know, anytime you can play four favorable wins in standard, I would say that's a pretty good format, right? Like if that's a playable <laughs> deck, I'm willing to say that that's a good format. Uh, just as a general rule of thumb, the deck might not be good, uh, but it's a good format. Great um, job, brother. All right. So let's hop on to our last segment of the week here, our topic of the week. Uh, you know, I kind of let you drive the conversation um, or drive some of the topics here because you're not on all the time. Uh, but, you know, we got to talk about Poppercliff. It was the talk of uh, the GP event, 120 players on the at the side event on Sunday for the side popper event. Uh, Channel Fireball had a lot of people messaging them and telling them how much they enjoyed and asking for more popper support. Uh, I was hearing about it on Twitter all weekend long. Uh, I have some opinions, but I'm, I'm curious to hear like kind of what your take on all of this is. Well, I was there and they were uh, indeed promoting the hell out of it. Uh, I saw the professor at every place uh, drumming up interest too. Uh, I'm always in favor of new ways to play. Uh, what I'm not always in favor of is uh, insanity in the face of those things. Like, yes, it's got 120 people in a side event, but uh, you can get a lot of old school players. You can get 20 or 30 of those together. Uh, I was cube drafting all weekend. So um, I feel like the more ways to play, the better the game is in the long term except if people are going to take a format ostensibly about, you know, commons and lower power things and doing uh, broken storm decks. Uh, storm decks apparently are using uh, thermal alchemist as their kill condition. They're not even bothering with grape shot. It's just uh, rituals and card draw. That is certainly a curious strategy. I'll give them that. <laughs> um yeah, it's just, it's, you know what it is to me? It's it's tiny leaders. It's just another version of tiny leaders. And the reason I say that is that the biggest problem that tiny leaders had was that it, you, you, it didn't really have a place to play it, right? Like, where did you play tiny leaders? There was no, it wasn't a social format in the way that Commander is. And it wasn't uh, a competitive format in the way that like modern was. And even though I like tiny leaders, I thought it was this cool hybrid of commander and legacy. There was nothing to do with the format. So, and I don't see how, oh, excuse me, how uh, Popper solves that problem essentially. I think that comparing it to tiny leaders is a little unfair, but not super unfair. Um, because Tiny Leaders took a format that already existed and put a restriction on it that was uh, supposed to be a fun and different way to play it. And it just turned out, it was just a, a bubble, a flame out. It did too much too quickly and it couldn't keep up with itself. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, all right, there's the popper event. They had one popper event on the Sunday. So uh, Channel Fireball appears to be committed to like one Sunday event per popper. And uh, has he, have, do you have a local store that started playing popper at all? Mine is trying to do one a week, but it, it's getting like 10 people. 
I I don't know if they're playing popper or not. I don't. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've played much at my local store, so I don't know what they're they're doing over there at the moment. I'm, there's probably something of a scene going on. Um, you know, the other aspect of this is the po- the whole point, the, the whole reason popper exists. The the fundamental nature of the format, it's je ne sais quoi, is that it's cheap. That is why popper is a format. But like all of this behavior with the prices is going to undermine all of that. So it's got this weird tension where it can never be that popular because if it's too popular, then it ceases to be the whole, it ceases to be itself. Um, so, you know, that's also going to be kind of a limiting factor. I, I see it in the same way that like I think of uh, Legacy. It's suffer- it has this sort of the same problem is it can never, it, it's a victim of its own popularity. It can never be too popular. Uh, that, that sounds right too, but, uh, at least so far we're seeing only spikes in the foils. God help us. If we start seeing like firebolt, non-foil spike, firebolt's a bad example. It's been repeated. Um, what's a, another one? Oh, the, what's that bad prevention card we were talking about? Uh, there were multiples. Um, the one that flashed back for a white prismatic strands. Like, come on, everybody. Let's, let's not make judgment commons $6 cards. I mean, that's what's going to happen if Popper continues to be popular and get played at side events and, you know, Channel Fireball supports it. That is where this is going to go. Uh, you're going to see those get those all those cards get drained uh, in price or in, in supply and prices are going to go up because right now there's so little real world demand and you're just starting to see the first taste of people wanting to play popper in real life and like of a real push on the supply. Um, and it will pull those prices because a lot of, you know, popper is not all M12 and forward cards, right? Like think about the age of the cards we saw in segment one tonight. You've got old stuff in there. Uh, and I would bet dollars to donuts without, without even looking that some of those cards in that format uh, are old and are necessary to their, their archetype and their build and you're going to end up with essentially like popper versions of legacy lands where the whole deck hinges on one or two of this one comment that like is obnoxiously expensive and it's like oh cool i have to pay 40 dollars for this common from mercadian masks to play my deck uh and i need like four of them i could build you know shock lands are cheaper than that <laughs> so there were uh 200 over 200 215 players at the uh, event this past Sunday in Indianapolis, and Magic's official channel has 315,000 subscribers. The professor has about a little less than 300,000. So with him preaching it, I mean, we see what Saffron Olive does to card prices. We saw two cases of that this week. Um, I think we need to start giving a little more credence to what some of these personalities can do. Um, I don't follow esports enough to know if uh, somebody can spike a Hearthstone card or do a run on a League of Legends character sort of a thing. I, I may be sounding like a complete idiot, uh-huh. but um, you know, we I have probably not given enough uh, weight to the individuals involved. Um, I'll I'll watch anybody draft anything. Uh, I'm real big on drafting, but constructed. Uh, I only pay attention to when I have to. And this is one of those cases where perhaps, perhaps we should. All right. So first of all, you have the worst taste. Holy shit. You watch anyone draft anything. That's the worst way to watch magic. (laughs) I love drafting. 
I just uh, absolutely love drafting. It's the best. My cube is ridiculously fun. I want to build more cubes. I can't play enough cube draft. I love cube. Draft is like empirically and objectively the least watched and least popular magic format. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I want you to pause that thought, buddy, because the clips where they do the drafting, very popular. Watching the games, total crap. I'm well, with you yeah. on, on that split. That split is important because I think <laughs> what they need to do is just show us three hours of people drafting. I would watch all three hours. Of that. I want to see what the person next to the person we watched originally was doing. I want people downstream of that to see. I want all of that. I, have I don't an, care anything about the games. I have an analogy for this, but it is oh, way too adult for me to put on this cast. But oh, let's, okay. I'm, I'm just going to leave you with that thought. Um, also, Hearthstone, there's no economy. Um, you don't trade in Hearthstone. You have to... Oh, right. It's the dust model. Yeah, so you don't really come up with any of that stuff. But yeah, in, in general, I, you know, I would I would caution, you know, Popper seems like it could be cool to play. I won't I won't speak to that. And if you guys play Popper and you have fun with it, I'm glad. Uh, but I would caution you, I guess, against investing in Popper cards because A, they're all super duper reprintable. Uh, and B, the format seems like it's going to have trouble. It's I I I suspect it will run into the tiny leader problem of having nowhere to play it. What could save it from that is that it's still very cheap, which will appeal to people. But if it stops being cheap, they have a stop. They have no reason to play it anymore. So just keep that in mind uh, when you're considering investing in popper cards. When we're done, I have to know this analogy because I've thought of a couple mm-hmm. and. I, I have to know. Sure. Well, you, you, people, you can, you can ask me on Twitter if you really, I'll, you know, if someone wants to ask me on Twitter, I'll post it there where, uh, where I'm not broadcasting in the people's ears. Cause I know they're impressionable young minds to listen. Um, okay. So do you have any more thoughts about Popper before we catch our notch, notch, next topic? No, let's move on. All right. So you wanted to talk about rotation uh, and planning for rotation. This is something that I've definitely written about uh, multiple times over the years. Uh, but you're saying that you know we might want to start. You know, it's always good to revisit this topic, both for people who haven't heard, you know talked about rotation before, and also the changing landscape of magic. So, where do you think we are right now with this? All right. So my rule used to be when we had uh, two years and then stuff was gone. It was uh, six months. I needed to be out of a card six months before uh, the set rotated. So that would put you at like May, right? You were selling your card in yes. May. So like if I had any Heart of Kiran, Heart of Kiran, whichever it is. <laughs> Heart of Kiran? Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's just on purpose. <laughs> I'll never tell. Um so that's dropped down to six, uh, and I would definitely not be picking it up because we are too close to rotation. Uh, on the flip side, uh, that, and that goes for everything with Amonkhet and, uh, and Amonkhet and Kaladesh blocks. So that's a lot of cards that, uh, it, it's kind of violating my rule, but we're going to get, um, with a new big set every three months. That's a lot of cards and a lot of interactions. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to be the one who is getting out too late on a card. But uh, with the, the potentials that are offered, you know, something like, uh, you know, I picked two Ixalan cards because they've got a really long time frame left in standard. 
And I feel that's a much safer path to take. But at the same time, there are some really tempting cards in uh, a Moncap block or Kaladesh block that are looking to be abused. And, uh, well, I, that's a strong statement, that are potentially going to interact with new things in a way that uh, we weren't ready for, especially with these sets that were designed with 18 months and constant rotation in mind. We're almost to the end of those, but I I'm wondering if we we need to revisit that line of thinking. Well, I would. I really wish they didn't get rid of the 18-month rotation. I think that was a good idea, uh, and I'm an, I'm a little annoyed that they caved on that, but it is what it is, I guess. Um, yeah, it does seem like you kind of have to prepare for it sooner. You used to be able to ride this right up until the last pretty pretty late, right? You could you could get to June and still be pretty comfortable selling your standard cards. And I don't know if it's just that I've become more bearish on standard in general, but it does feel like it is harder. You have you kind of have to sell it earlier. I mean I'm talking about Heart of Kieran. We're in January and I'm like, ah, I don't want to buy it because I feel like you might get hosed, even though it seems like I could jump in price if Marty Vehicles is still a part of standard. And you know what I think part of it is just standard's been less popular. Like standard in as a format has been less popular amongst the players, uh, has driven prices not as hard, um, and has overall been muted relative to the other format. So I think that's probably what scared me off the most and why I'm now... now why If I own standard cards, I'm looking at, like you're, you're saying, selling those in February or March, right? I have no desire to try and wait until uh, the snow is melted. And frankly, if I could get rid of them now, I would. The only reason to hold on to them now... Uh, is because you the price isn't high enough and you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, um, I remember when it was uh, January was uh, not sorry not January like the beginning of summer. Uh, then the prices would start to trickle down, and I think that what we've moved into is an age where uh, instead of it trickling downward, it just won't spike up and it'll start trickling down in January ish. Mm -hmm. And I. I, I don't want to be locked out of places to increase the value of my collection just because of the time frame involved. I'm just going to have to be really conscious of where they're at. Like Heart of Quran, it's a mythic from a small set. This would be a slam dunk if it had a year left to go until rotation, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as a, a six dollar card that was in uh, on the standard classic, it was in one, two, three, four, five of the top sixteen decks, and it was a four of there. And that sounds like a card. Oh, a mythic! Uh, small, I'm all over that. But now, like we said, is the card have the capability to pop to? If you bought it at six, you need it to hit eighteen or twenty again. We know it's been there. Could it go back? Potentially, but then you have to weigh the money that you're spending because Heart of Kieran has Heart of Kieran, excuse me, has <laughs> never been played in modern. I, have you seen it ever in there? No, I mean I'm sure someone somewhere casts a card, but not like in an amount that we need to care about. Yeah. So I I like that as an example card of a card that could spike that still could have a spike left in its standard life. But I just want to be aware of how things are moving and my own unwillingness to dive deep on a card rotating in six months. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, I, I would caution our listeners and uh, to keep in mind that uh, the, the time frame for getting out of your standard stuff is getting shorter and shorter. 
Uh, and, you know, you really, you shouldn't be investing in standard cards or planning for standard without a very clear plan on what you're going to do with those cards. Uh, because you, you have to assume that you might get stuck with them. So, uh, ha- have a clear exit strategy if you're not, you know, if you're, if you're going to dabble in that. And this is part of the reason why I don't even really want to invest in standard for the most part anymore. <laughs> I can um, believe that. Yeah. Now, Cliff, uh, I did promise you a couple minutes at the end of the episode here so you could share with us your feelings here about uh, the prize wall. But I I do actually think it's probably a very good conversation to have because there's uh, a lot of money involved with this type of thing. But maybe we haven't, you know, our listeners might not have really thought about it too much or talked about it. So why don't you give us an idea of what we're looking at here? Okay. Uh, before I, I start ranting, uh, you should, everybody should know I'm a, a parent. I've got two kids. They're three and four years old and we go to Chuck E. Cheese every once in a while. And Chuck E. Cheese is really good at taking a lot of money and turning it into a very small amount of money. You don't just spend the money. You're actually winning tickets that you go trade in for something worth a lot less than if you just went and bought it. So this philosophy of, well, you could win big and you can save up your tickets. It works on us all the time. And the prize wall at Channel Fireball, since Channel Fireball is now in charge of all the Grand Grand Prix, however we say the multiples, it is going to, it's something we can't get away from. And it's, it drove me up the wall at Santa Clara. And I can't imagine it won't do the same at any other events I make it to because one, uh, the, the biggest one for me was, well, if you want to save your tickets, you want to save them for the end of the event when you've had the chance to play in the most things, but then they've run out of stuff and they run out of stuff and they don't restock it at two o'clock on a Sunday when people are in their third day of playing and they've been saving up all these tickets and now the stuff they want is gone. And you've taken, you've spent this money and you were paying $20 for a draft to maybe win a hundred tickets and that's uh, 10 standard packs if you want standard packs, but that's a channel fireballs prices. They were buying those packs for what, like $2, $1.50, something like that. They are just raking it in and it it's bad value. It is just bad value. I know a guy who traded uh, 1500 tickets for an uncut foil sheet and then turned around and sold it for 300 bucks. And that is, and he spent all weekend accumulating these tickets, and at the end was like, "Well, what can I get?" He couldn't get money. He didn't want to get, uh, you know, 150 packs. You know, there especially of like this was Santa Clara, so you couldn't get Rivals of Ixalan. It was only uh, just Ixalan. So it it just the way that we turn a lot of money into a little bit of money is driving me crazy. I I didn't spend hardly any money on side events at the Grand Prix. I went there and I cube drafted a bunch and it was fantastic. I felt like I was ahead on money the whole weekend. Um, okay. So this is, this is interesting. Uh, you know, I admit I haven't engaged with price walls enough to have a good feel for the value of them. Uh, is that really what it is? If you win a $20 draft, you get uh, hold on, I will, ten standard packs. I will. No, no, you don't get Exelon packs. They'll sell you Exelon packs for ten dollars. Uh, hold on. Right. So I'm sorry for ten ten tickets. Okay, so it is essentially if you win the draft, you get a draft set back. 
yes, let me make sure of what the prices are because I don't want to falsely accuse someone. Okay. I mean, I would imagine this is one of those things where like you have to find the one or two items that actually have good value. Uh, and then that's all you can buy, right? Oh, you're right, Travis. I looked it up and the Iconic Masters packs were 50 tickets. And first place in a $20 draft was 200 tickets. Second place was 100. And third or fourth place was 40 tickets. So you could spend $20 and get a, a third or fourth place. You go two and one. And then you'll end up with enough tickets to go get four packs, which is not terrible in terms of packs. But when I saw everybody wanting their um, uh a volcanic island at 1500 tickets, things like that, then the value really became clear. And when they stopped restocking it was when everybody was really getting pissed off because now there was nothing they could do but get packs. Okay. So, I mean, but I, I, I get where you're coming from though, is essentially you're kind of stuck. You're stuck paying what, what channel fireball wants to charge you essentially, uh, which is pretty rough. Yes. Yeah. That's uh that's unpleasant for sure. Especially because you can't, uh, none of the vendors will take tickets either. Yeah. <laughs> so you are playing with closed system points. I'm sure James would have a 10 minute talk about how Puka Trade is the same way. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. So, yeah, I mean, it's like going to Disney World and you're buying, you trade $100 for 100 Disney World bucks, and then you realize that everything in Disney World bucks are twice as expensive and you also can't use them at the restaurants. <laughs> Um, exactly. All right. Well, yeah. So, I mean, have you found any tips to like maximizing your value at prize walls? Uh, the only tip I can give, uh, this is the first Grand Prix I've been to in a year was, uh, make your picks early and don't expect anything to be there on Sunday because Sunday I went back a couple of times thinking, Oh, I'm going to pick up some sweet foils and they were all gone. It was, it was slim pickings when I was done with everything. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up for the week. Um, Cliff, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander. Uh, I'm also writing every week for MTG Price on Fridays. Okay. And again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday over at MTG Price. You can also find me on the Cartel Aristocrats webcast whenever we feel like recording that. Um, <laughs> I, I would just like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by some of the best minds in the business, including me and Travis, and a sweet set of online collection management tools that will help drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. You stole my bit there, Cliff. I was the black text, sir. I don't know what you're no, talking you were about. The blue text. The, the, the blue text says, I'm Travis yeah, Allen. Well, I don't get, see how you can mess this up. Ad lib. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to the end of episode 103. Cliff, I'm really glad you were able to make it and fill in for James this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Travis. See you, everybody. Have fun. We'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Five Minutes. <laughs>